Welcome to Clued in Mystery. I'm Sarah. And I'm Brooke. And we both love mystery. So Brooke, today we've got a different type of episode. Uh, Today, instead of looking at a specific author in depth, we're talking about a subgenre, or maybe it's actually two subgenres, which I think we'll we'll probably discuss. Uh, We're talking about, in the mystery space, noir and hard-boiled detective fiction. And because neither of us are very familiar with uh, either of those, noir or hard-boiled, we've invited Francis to join us again. Hi, Francis. Hi. Nice to see you guys and speak with you. Nice to see you. Before we get started, I'll just refresh our listeners' memories with a short bio on Francis. Francis has read mysteries since she was four. After some teaching, she opened the mystery bookshop Chronicles of Crime 22 years ago. She also writes crime fiction, and the first books in two series set in 1935, based in San Francisco, are with an agent. Thanks again for joining us, Francis. Thank you for having me. So I'm really pleased that you've joined us because for me, at least, this is uh, part of the mystery genre that I'm really unfamiliar with. Um, you know, I can name maybe a couple of authors and uh, a couple of um, of their works that uh, would fit in there. But I really appreciate you coming to to um, provide some insight today. Uh, this, I think, this will be a fun conversation. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, hard boiled and noir. There's a very fine line within the descriptors of both. And as I said, as we were chatting, this all has to do with vocabulary, with words, and the etymology of words. So as I held up to you when we were first chatting, it's going to start with an egg. Interesting. Maybe we could start by just talking about what makes that difference between noir and and hard-boiled. Well, hard-boiled came first. In the 1920s, the term noir was never used until the 40s when film noir came about. And that was through a French film critic who saw American films changing and becoming very dark. But let's backtrack to hard boiled. The term came about by it was used by Mark Twain in an essay that he wrote in 1886 for uh, the essay was called, oh, it was a speech that he, he an essay on a speech that he wrote about Ulysses, Ulysses Grant. It was all about Grant's vocabulary that he used because he was trying to rile people up and get things going. And Twain said Grant's use of the English language was hard-boiled, hidebound grammar. And Twain likened changes in literature or changes in people as being like a hard-boiled egg because they became harsher, tougher, and wouldn't put up with things. And that is where hard-boiled came from. And then in World War I, the drill sergeants were called hard-boiled, and the people that were in training were good eggs. So you see how it all all grows. And then in the slangs, it became uh, in the 20s in the United States, it became a slang word to call somebody hard boiled. They were the tough guy on the street, the one you wanted to avoid. 
So at this same time, Black Mask magazine had come out. And you have to think about early pulp. A lot of it was adventure stories, spicy stories, uh, westerns. Westerns were huge and has an enormous connection to hard-boiled fiction. Because the hard-boiled guys were the cowboys riding around in the open west. There were, you know, bank robberies and you name it, whatever else. And they were the hard-boiled characters of Western fiction. And then uh, Black Mask accepted a few stories in the 20s. And one of them was by uh, Carol uh, John Daly. And he, I'm going to read you the opening line he had, because uh, this was uh, what I call a one-off. So it wasn't going to be featured as a, as a series character. So the story's by Daly. It's published in Black Mask, May 15th, 1923, and it's called Three Gun Terry. And the opening is, I have a little office, which says Terry Mask, private investigator, on the, on the door, which means whatever you wish to think it. I ain't a crook and I ain't a dick. I play the game on the level in my own way. Now we have a different vocabulary that has been established. So after that, he liked the way all of that sounded. The story was very popular in Black Mask, but then he developed a character shortly after that. So June of 23, it comes out of Race Williams. And Race Williams is considered the first hard-boiled detective. And it he writes it in a similar manner to that. He's a gun-toting private detective that has high morals, but he has to sometimes break, break little snippets of the law, shall we say, in order to save the person that is in trouble and to uncover the mystery. So he is, in fact... The first hard-boiled detective. Most people think it's Dashiell Hammett. Uh, Daly wrote over 50 Race Williams short stories. They became books. He's kind of dropped out of sight because Hammett and Chandler sort of began to take over. Hammett wrote about three months later a story in Black Mask. It was more literary than Race Williams. So that's probably partly why Hammett is thought of as more of a writer, but Race Williams was more prolific. prolific. Yeah, because I, I did read a little bit about Hammett. And he, unlike some of the other authors that we, we've looked at, he wasn't as prolific as them. And he wrote a lot of short stories, I think, but not as many novels. And his writing was um, in a relatively limited period of time that, that, he was, that he was publishing. Yeah. And he only wrote five novels. Yeah. But most people think that Hammett is the father of the hard-boiled genre. Because it is, as you said, a subgenre of of mystery. It's a, And it's a huge one. Mm-hmm. Well, and so it's interesting that it, it emerged around the time that Agatha Christie was publishing yep, um, exa- exactly. the, her yep. earlier stories, right? Um, and so is there uh, – she was publishing in, in the UK and – Hardboiled emerged from the U.S. Is that is there any significance to that? 
there's a huge significance to it because hard boiled fought back at that smooth golden age sort of style where everything was perfect. And you have to think about the times in the United States. They were entering the depression. Prohibition lasted for 13 years from the 1920s to 34. So things were very dark for people. They had no jobs. There were bread lineups. And, and they, these authors who were writing the pulps just felt that there wasn't, nobody was talking about real people. They weren't living in manor houses. They weren't. And so it was a real fight back at Golden Age. And they sold extraordinarily well. If Race Williams's name appeared on the cover of Black Mask, they would sell out of the publication. Hmm. So people enjoyed, and it took them away into a whole other kind of um, more realistic side of things. So that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing about it's, it's a response to the golden age of crime fiction and there's a place for both. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's interesting that, hard-boiled it kind of reflected what was happening in life right where it was darker and and more realistic whereas myself as a reader like when things are tough I'd rather read something that is lighter well during COVID most of the things I sold were golden age mysteries I would be selling 30 copies of Agatha Christie a day easily Niall Marsh and, you know, they wanted comfort. They would read Rex Stout as an American author. So during when all that, the height of the pandemic, they were going back to people that they knew and not the sort of the Scandinavian stuff, which I would sell all the time. I maybe sold 20 Scandi books during the two year height of things. Yeah, I know. Yeah. You're surprised. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other conversation. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Maybe we could talk a little bit more about um, the magazines that um, uh, the Black Mask and I, I know there were, you mentioned. And Dime Detective and Spicy and Adventure. There were tons of them. And there's a really brilliant website that has a lot of them available for you to read which is on internetarchive.org. And you can go, it's a huge research site, but they have a lot of the pulp magazines and you can go through and read the stuff and it's just, it's fabulous and see the covers and the artwork and all that kind of stuff. Because they're also very visual. They had brilliant artists who did the covers. Yeah, I was look, looking up some of them and, and yeah, they're really incredible. And I was, I was looking, was re, I was interested to learn about the spicy um, yeah, <laughs> there's some great <laughs> stories in there. <laughs> no. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, this, and they're pretty risque. Very. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was reading this kind of analysis of how this plucky girl found herself in these situations where, um, oops, her, her, uh, underclothes came off all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, some of Chandler's stuff can be a bit racy, the way he talks about women. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I haven't posted any of those ones. <laughs> I think that's a difference that we've seen from the Golden Age as well, where they really bring in like the sexy aspect where you don't see that at all in the Golden Age. Yeah, they're more uptight in the Golden Age. 
it's it's rare that someone loses their undergarments <laughs> <laughs> if it ever happened in the golden age. And I read an essay by Chandler where he is really critical of the golden age. Um, he was very critical of it. Yes, all, like almost snarky in his criticism. He could be. <laughs> he could be snarky about anything. <laughs> he he was an interesting character because he um, he was very prolific in his short stories, um, and he also wrote like many of the hard boiled writers wrote screenplays for Hollywood. And that's really where they made their money. Uh, And, and a lot of them drank a lot, like a lot. I know there was one book Chandler couldn't finish. And so they locked him in a room or a screenplay. They locked him in a room with a bunch of scotch and let him go at it. And they often wrote the screenplays for other hard boiled or noir writers. So James M. Cain's Double Indemnity is written by Raymond Chandler. It's basically word for word out of the book for the film, uh, except for the last 20 pages of the book, Chandler changed the ending in the film. So it's you could sit and read the book and <laughs> watch the movie, and then he changed the last 20 pages. It's a totally different ending. It's quite a shock compared to what the book is more shocking than and I think makes more sense than the film, but that's my opinion on that. Interesting. And so then um, just thinking about, you know, that film is really kind of coming into um, uh, popularity and, and at the time that, um, that these guys were writing those screenplays. So they clearly had quite an influence on what was being, um, being produced at the time. Yeah, and it depends what the what the studio wanted as well, right? Um, so they were looking for things that were popular, what characters were liked, and and a lot of it is hard boiled stuff. And again, the films of the time began reflecting the period that they were going through of historically the period. So coming out of prohibition, coming out of uh, um. Well, World War One first, then Prohibition, and then, I mean there were hundreds, thousands of movies being made in Hollywood. It's an area that is fascinating. Um, and then they moved into so then you get the Depression, that really mucked things up. <laughs> uh, and so they're they're reflecting so much. That's where film noir comes in. They reflect so much of that gritty side of things. Mm-hmm. So that that was that. Um, term came into being when a French critic uh, saw a bunch of American films and wrote uh, an article on them and said how noir they were, how black they were. So it was really Europe that coined the, the whole mood of noir. Right. And so that's why it's a fine line between the two because hard boiled books have all of those elements in them. Often the noir books are standalones. They're not necessarily carried on, but you could argue that Chandler and Hammett fall into both categories, as does Mickey Spillane, and they're all edgy. So similarities between the two, 
there's violence in both, uh, sexual overtones in both. They're, uh, they have a rough, edgy, gritty tone in both. Uh, and their character development in both is amazing. So if you read noir fiction and you're looking at something like um, James M. Cain's um, Postman Always Rings Twice, uh, that, so he wrote that in 34. That's about a guy who's walks into a, a roadside diner uh, and he's looking for some work. So again, Let's put that in with the depression perspective. He just shows up. Uh, and, of course, the wife is uh, of the owner of the diner comes in, and she's a hot number, and the husband is older. And then they, she is the femme fatale and coerces him to kill her husband and so that they can get insurance money and escape their dreadful life. And... There's always a sap and there's always a femme fatale in noir. That's one of the differences. Yet you empathize with the sap because he's usually just fallen into an unfortunate circumstance. You know it isn't going to end well. There's no way. Detour is a brilliant film where a fellow's driving along the road or is hitchhiking and he gets into a car that this guy picks him up on and accidentally the fellow who owns the car dies. And uh, it's the other fellow driving the hitchhiker. He dies and it's all on the up and up, but the fellow is worried about it. He takes the car, he hides the body, he takes the car, he goes off and he meets this woman who he picks up to give a ride. And it's, downhill from there for him there is no way that he can get out of that situation and and she's a bad person <laughs> i find a lot of similarities in those films and those setups in uh like a shakespeare tragedy yes. like you know that the minute that the play starts that it's all going to go wrong it's going to be you know a tragic ending everyone's going to die or at least psychological death um so that's kind of in my mind how I separate the strictly noir stuff is it feels like kind of one of those tragic plays. Yep. Yeah. There, yeah. There's nothing good that nobody does well in noir film. <laughs> and so, so the definition of noir fiction is constantly changing. Whereas hard boiled is more static and it constantly changes because the protagonists are constantly changing and evolving. So we have modern noir films that are done, and they're very different from um, the early noir films. But the main thing is that morally, there's not much there. Nothing good, anyway. There's, oh, there's someone who has turned someone into something else. So everybody has the possibility to commit a crime. It depends on your morals. And, and if you're down and out, sometimes you just can't alter that. And that's the noir 
That's the flaw of the characters in noir. Now, in and the other thing is um, that actually they both do um, use is the backdrop of noir and hard-boiled is always a gritty setting. It's always dark. It's always uh, sort of mean streets. And Chandler was excellent at, um, so in his opening of The Big Sleep, he was excellent in describing himself and what he was wearing. It's in the first paragraph. It's considered one of the best um, opening paragraphs, whether you consider it hard-boiled or noir. Uh, and he describes what he's wearing and he's looking quite natty and he goes into this house that has an enormous tapestry of knights and uh, the knight is saving a woman with long hair and he describes it and he describes how he felt like he was dressed like a million bucks because he had to act the part in order to get the job from this wealthy guy. And then everything goes downhill for him. And and the person he's supposed to be helping, who can't help herself. She doesn't know what to do. She's into drugs, that kind of thing. And so they, both noir and um, hard-boiled talk about very gritty subjects. They're talking drugs. They're talking blackmail. They're talking out-and-out murder for often not necessarily great reasons, right? I mean, no murder is for a great reason, but just saying that they've chosen to be topics that, yes, murder in the golden age, and yes, people used opium sometimes. I mean, there's Sherlock in an opium den or whatever, but it wasn't for the sake of monetary gain for the individual, and that's often something that you see. It's done for money. It's done for insurance money. In noir, lots of insurance scams and things like that that they're trying to do. And the other feature is, I mean, the whole thing is morals in both. Noir uh, fiction, morally, the person is compromised. And you can't see right from wrong. He gets so down a drain. Um, Dennis Lehane had a great quote where he said that in noir fiction, the character falls off the curb into the gutter. In hard-boiled, you're much more upstanding. Even though you do things that may have questionable morals, it's for justice and to right the world again. So you don't you, you can't stoop that low to roll off into a gutter. Whereas in noir, you just do. The other thing about both is their dialogue. It's very sharp snappy, witty. In the Maltese Falcon, uh, that Hammett wrote the Maltese Falcons, but it, he says, the the main character who's the bad character says, you always have a very smooth explanation for everything. And Sam Spade, Hammett's character, replies, what do you want me to do? Learn to stutter? And so it's very, it's very snappy. Uh, in The Thin Man, I love this quote. Uh, the main character says the problem of putting two and two together is that sometimes you get four and sometimes you get 22. So he uses and instead of plus, right? Mm -hmm. It's just that way that it turns your thinking on a dime by hearing this, these very simple things. Uh, Hard boiled stuff often has humor in it. Noir has very little humor. 
because mm-hmm. they're too it, the characters are too compromised and bleak. Yeah, I really enjoy all the fun similes in the hard-boiled uh, stories. They, you know, you find yourself laughing out loud a lot. And uh, one that I wrote down was as cold and dry as yesterday's toast yeah. to describe the the weather. I was just like, that that was just so great. They just grab you. It's the visual. Chandler's very visual. And great for radio. Oh, but yeah, there were tons that were serialized. So that website, Internet Archive, has tons of old-time radio shows on it. And you can just go through all the crime shows or the comedies or whatever. But it's excellent to be able to listen to them. I listened to a couple of um, radio uh, shows of Philip Marlowe's um, Mysteries um, yep. by, by Chandler. And uh, I really enjoyed them. They were fun. And you hear that, the snappy dialogue, you get that. And when he writes about the Santa Ana winds, you can feel the blowing and the sand. Yes. <laughs> and just everything whirl, twirling, right, yeah. around, because there's something coming up. Yes. You know what's going to happen. And and that's suspenseful. In, in So he's always, they're always looking for something to... To make good on a, a PI or a hard-boiled character, often you know the the person fires them or they die or something like that. That's hired them, and that PI will continue to bring justice for that person. Whereas there's not much justice in noir. There are police procedurals that were done that were noir, but they're usually dirty cops. So <laughs> that's that shows too what took place in the time. I was trying to describe to my husband what what we were going to be talking about. And I gave him the example um, of LA Confidential. Yes, that's very noir. And it's part of Elroy's um, quartet that he, that he wrote. And he's, he's very edgy, very dark. Um, His uh, biography, Elroy's biography is uh, very hard to read, but excellent. Hard to read in that it's so dark because he had a dark upbringing um, in that his mother had died very much in the way of the Black Dahlia. And so it was, I think that colored him to see things in a darkness. He's a brilliant writer, but you have to be in the right state of mind. (laughs) And the film Alley Confidential was excellent. It portrayed exactly what noir is. So Brooke, we're going to pause the conversation with Francis here. Yeah, that was just a great conversation with Francis. I had no idea we were going to learn so much. Um, and I'm just excited because there's even more to come. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can reach us at hello at cluedinmystery.com or on Instagram at cluedinmystery. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a rating or a review or telling a friend to help spread the word. Thank you for listening to Clued in Mystery. I'm Brooke. And I'm Sarah. And we both love mystery. Clued in Mystery is produced by Brooke Peterson and Sarah M. Stephen. Music is by Shane Ivers at silvermansound.com. Visit us online at cluedinmystery.com or social media at cluedinmystery. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing, leaving a review, or telling your friends.